I hope to be able to spend a few minutes this morning in, uh, encouraging you and uh, hopefully uh, helping you to see that uh, we need to live a life of boldness in Christ. Uh, I hope I can do that this morning. I, that's the burden I felt on my heart. I originally uh, thought um, earlier in the week that is that I was going to preach this a little different way, but over the week the Lord has kind of helped me to see it from a different perspective, and so you pray for me this morning. Before I read that scripture, though, let me start with you the back story of where we are. Um, the book of Philippians is a prison epistle, right? So that means Paul wrote this while he was in prison. He was in prison in Rome uh, this time for preaching the gospel of Christ. That was his crime. Uh, this was not his first time being in prison, not by a long shot. Uh, it happened to him many times throughout his life, and in fact, Paul describes his life to the Corinthians church, um, and, and, and I'll just share with you part of what he says to them, right? He says, I have labored for Christ abundantly, and because of that labor, this is what Paul says that happened to him. Because Paul loved the Lord, because, because Paul preached the gospel, because he lived the gospel, he said, I've been in stripes above measure. In other words, he'd been beaten more times than he could count. In prisons more frequently and in death more often. In other words, almost near death several times. He said, from the Jews I received 39 stripes. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've been in perils often. Perils in the sea. Perils in the cities. Perils in the wilderness. Perils amongst my own countrymen. Perils amongst the Gentiles. And perils amongst false brethren. I've been weary and toil. I've been in sleeplessness. I've been in hunger. I've been in thirst. I've been cold. I've been naked. And how did Paul respond to this life that he was living for Christ? This is what he said to the Corinthians. He said, yet I take pleasure in my infirmities. In reproach, I take pleasure in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. If that was our Christian experience, how many of us would be faithful this morning? Yeah. Yeah. And you might ask yourself, well, why would these things happen to somebody who loved God and who was working for God and living for God? Because we operate under the false assumption that as long as we live our lives for Christ that nothing bad can happen to us. But that's not true. I can tell you why it happened. It happened because Paul's proclamation, his gospel, was that Jesus was both Lord and Savior. And that all people everywhere that God has commanded them to repent and believe the gospel. That's what got Paul in trouble everywhere he went. That was always enough to infuriate the kings and the governors and the rulers and the, and the religious people. Wherever Paul went, that message was enough to get him in trouble every time. And so Paul is imprisoned. And the church at Philippi, a church that Paul had founded, is concerned for him. They gather together. They've sent him a message and a little love offering to, to try to help. And they fear that this will be the last time that they see Paul and that Paul's life will be taken. And so the Apostle Paul responds to their letter to encourage them. And that's what we're going to read this morning. So look with me in verse 12. Through 21. He said, But I want you to know, brethren, Paul writing to this church from prison, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Amen. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. 
Paul's speaking about those that are making fun of him and his gospel. And so they say, oh, this man believes in Christ and he believes the resurrection and he believes these things and they're making fun of him. Others, he said, preach out of love knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. He says, you know what? Only that in every way, whether it's in pretense, whether it's those that are making fun of the message, or whether it's in truth, I rejoice that Christ is preached. And in all this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance yeah. through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, yeah. according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also in Christ, will be magnified in my body, yeah. whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Verse 20 is the text that I really wanted you to see this morning, so I'm going to read it again. He said, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. Paul said, I'll be ashamed of nothing. But with boldness, my life and my death will be to magnify and glorify God. That was Paul's desire. To the point to where Paul said, whether I live, it's Christ. Whether I die, it's gain. Now the question that I have for us this morning is, do we share that desire with Paul? Amen. That our life would be lived in such a way and that ultimately our death would happen in such a way that Christ would be magnified. Amen. Is that your desire? That requires boldness Amen. in Christ. Amen. It's hard for me to even give a, a biblical definition of boldness for you this morning and so I thought it might be more meaningful if I explain it to you this way right? I, I, I would say biblical boldness means having true confidence in Christ in a world that hates Christ it means having the courage to stand for Christ in a world that hates Christ it means speaking the truth of Christ in a world that hates Christ it means being obedient to Christ in a world that hates Christ. So, sometimes, guys, sometimes I believe, I, I really think that Christians today, especially here in America, we don't even realize that the world hates Christ. I think we're finally starting to wake up to that truth a little. We're finally beginning to see it just because of some recent talks of persecution that may be coming our way. But for the most part, I think most American Christians live completely blind to the fact that the world hates Christ and that the world hates Christians. The truth is, is that really we, we are living our Christian lives in a little Christian boat. And as long as we're in our little Christian bubble, as long as we're surrounded, as long as we're in church, we have a great boldness. We'll worship, we'll praise, we'll sing, we'll shout, we'll talk of all the great things of God, we'll stand boldly on truth. But when we leave that little Christian bubble that we stay in, and we step out into the world, and we get around folks who don't feel the same way we feel, or don't think the same way we think, oftentimes we hide our Christianity from them. In John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, Jesus told us, I've read these to you before, but he said, if the world hates you, you need to know it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. 
because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Why? Why does the world hate Christ? Why will the world hate us if we live for Christ and testify of Christ and, and, and spread the gospel of Christ? He told us why. In, in John chapter 3, he said, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he that does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Amen. Because their deeds are evil. For everyone who's practicing evil hates the light. Amen? And they don't want to come to the light because if they come to the light, their deeds will be exposed for what they are. Everyone who's outside, the reason they hate Christ is because Christ exposes them. Right, brethren? That's still true today. Men still love darkness rather than light. People hate the truth. The truth exposes our sinfulness. It exposes lostness. It exposes uh, 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 condemnation. It attacks pride. It confronts rebellion. And they hate it. You know why they hate the truth? They hate it because the truth says you can't save yourself. They hate it because they can't be good enough. They hate it because... To be saved, you must submit to God. And they hate it. They hate the truth that Christ has to be Lord of their life. And that they have to trust in Christ by faith to be saved. And they hate Him for that. Because they want to make their own way. They want to live lives their own way. Some of you this morning that maybe you're listening, you're in that same boat. The reason that you don't want to be a Christian is because you don't want to give God your life. If all I offered you this morning was, if all I said was, hey, you can come, all you got to do is pray this prayer and you get to go to heaven, you'd say sure. But when I preach the gospel to you that you must repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ and live for Christ, then you're out. If it's just a free trip to heaven, you're in. But if it's a life lived for Christ under the obedience of God, under the subjection of God, under the authority of God, the Lordship of Christ, you don't want no part of it. Amen. Now I need your prayers this morning because I want to speak boldly to us this morning. Not because I want to discourage us. I don't want to do that. Not because I think we need to feel condemned. I don't think we need to feel that way. But I do want to encourage us today and I want to push our faith forward just a little bit. I want to step out. I want to challenge us to step out of our comfort zones and our comfortable lives and begin to live with a more bold and fearless faith. I really want you to get uncomfortable for Christ. We can get too comfortable. We can get to where our Christianity is summed up in, in how, how much time we spend in the pew or how many Christian songs that we know the lyrics to or how many Bible verses we've memorized. But I want you to get uncomfortable this morning. I don't want you to say, well, I've got all I need. I want you to say, I know there's more and I want more. I want you to take the next step of faith in your life. And listen, no matter where you are in that journey, you may be miles ahead of somebody else, but they've got a next step in faith and so do you. Everybody's got a next step that we can take. I, I, I want to see each one of you that profess Christ. I want to see you living boldly for Christ in the world. I want to see you standing for Christ in your homes and amongst your families. I, I, I want to see you standing for Christ in your workplace and in your community and, 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 and everywhere else you go on social media. I, I want to see you laboring abundantly for the glory of God, for the sake of the gospel, and to see souls saved. That, that is what's at stake this morning, you understand. Souls are what's at stake. Every single day we encounter people who are in darkness. 
People that are lost. People without hope in the world. People that are dead in trespasses and sins every day. And you and I have the light that they need. We have the hope that they need. We, we know where they can find real life. We know that Christ is who they truly need. They need His salvation from sin. They need to be saved from the wrath of God to come. And listen, we've got that truth and we can share it with them. Amen. I, I dare say there's not many Christians in this church, if you've came here for any length of time, who couldn't explain repentance from sin and faith in Christ. That couldn't tell someone about this great salvation the scriptures declare we find in Christ. Who couldn't tell somebody about their sin and the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Amen. You should be able to tell them about Christ's great love for them and how He demonstrated that love. You should be able to share your testimony of what Christ has done for you and how He brought you out of death and sin and gave you life. You see, we have what they need. But most Christians never take the opportunity to share it. They rarely ever talk to other people about Christ. Unless it's within their little bubble. In this little Christian bubble that we live in. I want to give you a couple of reasons why this morning that I think that is. And you bear with me and you pray for me. If you're not excited about the message, just pray harder and we'll see what happens. The first reason why I think this is, is I, and, and you can disagree with me and that's okay if you do. But I think sometimes it's just obliviousness. Completely oblivious. I think some Christians today are oblivious to the fact that God has called them into ministry. They think God's called them to sit in a church. They think God has called them to be comfortable. They think God has called them to be happy. They think God has called them to do some of those, to pray and do some of those things. But when you begin to talk about ministry, they're oblivious. They've never been taught that. And they don't read their Bible on their own so they don't see it for themselves. And they don't hear solid preaching so they don't learn it that way and they're completely oblivious. That work in their mind when we talk about spreading the gospel, when we talk about sharing the gospel, in their mind that work is for pastors and preachers. Their job is to make sure that they come to church and invite some people ever so often. We need to recognize this morning that in many churches, almost 100% of the sermons that they hear are directed to the lost. Who, by the way, isn't listening. They're not at church. But yet they continue to preach to those that profess Christ that, that the, the message of salvation and listen, we all need to be reminded and we need to be thankful for salvation but like we said last week we need meat. Amen. Meat. And so these Christians in these churches they sit week after week and they continue to drink from the milk and their faith is stagnant and they're fruitless in their work for God and they're completely oblivious to the things that God is calling them to do. Listen, in a lot of churches today, I, I know people get aggravated at me, but in a lot of churches today, preaching is just somebody getting up and telling a little story about something that happened to them last week and they throw a few jokes in and then they find a scripture that maybe fits the story and they give that one scripture and then they say, Amen, let's bow our heads. Let's sing some more songs. Can't be that way, church. That's not good for us. We need the Word of God. We need it in truth. We need it in power. We need it in, in, in the Spirit. If it's not that, then for certain, it's get up and give some motivational talk about how our life can 
get even greater and how God's going to make it even greater. And that's it. Brethren, church is a place where we come to worship. But it's a place where we come to be equipped. The Bible says it's for the equipping of the saints. It is for instruction in righteousness. It is for training in godliness. It's where we come to learn the truths so that we can leave the church and go share the truths. Listen, if we're being honest, most churches today have become so weak and watered down and so man-centered and entertainment-driven that the world doesn't even notice them. There's no need for persecution because they're not really proclaiming truth anyways. In fact, the world applauds them. They'll go visit them on a Sunday and they leave feeling good and happy even though they're lost and dead in sins. And then you add on to that that weak, watered-down, sugar-coated preaching, the fact that most professing Christians never pick up their Bibles and read it for themselves, what you have is a recipe for biblical ignorance. And people are oblivious. They don't know what God wants for them. They don't know what God wants to do in their lives. They don't know how God wants to use them. They don't understand those things. And generally what it leads to is a, a, a false profession at best and a wasted life at worst. And I don't want that to be said about any of you that come to this church. I don't want you to live your life not knowing your calling. Brothers and sisters, you have a ministry. If you proclaim the name of Christ, if you profess, if you call yourself a Christian, that means you have a ministry that you've been called into. And I want you to see what that ministry is this morning. It's clearly written in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So let's look there. This is what he says. This is to all of us who name the name of Christ. He said, the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. That if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Amen? Amen. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And listen, and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us this word, the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This, brethren, is our ministry. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Clearly written there. We are ambassadors for Christ. What, is, what does it mean to be reconciled? What is the ministry of reconciliation? Well, it is the ministry of reconciling people, right? Reconciliation is a restoring of a relationship. The relationship that he's talking about here is the one between God and man. He didn't call us to do the work of reconciliation because we couldn't. 
Christ did the work of reconciliation, but He gave to us the word of reconciliation. And what he means by that is, is we are to go out and tell other people about what Christ has done to reconcile us to God. Amen. How he became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Well, what would cause us to want to do that? Well, it was written right there in verses 14 and 15. He said, it is the love of Christ that compels us. It's the love of Christ that compels us. The fact that we believe that Christ died and rose again compels us to be a bold witness for Christ in the world. That's the source of of our boldness. I would even go as far as to say this to you this morning. One of the evidences of truly being saved and born again, that your conversion is genuine, one of the evidences of that is witnessing. People talk about the things they love. They, they, they always talk about what they love. Whether it's a movie, they'll say, oh, I love that movie. Let me tell you about this movie. And they tell you everything that happened there. A song. Right? Whether it's their family, you get around some people and you know they love their family. How do you know? Because they talk about them. Right? They, they constantly talking about their kids or their, their spouse. or the, Maybe it's a hobby that they love. They talk about it. And I'm here to tell you this morning, people that love Christ talk about Christ. And if he don't ever come out of your mouth, that shows something. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks this morning, church. If Christ don't ever come out of those lips, it's because probably there ain't much of him in there. Amen? Well, I do talk about him. I just do it when I'm in my little Christian book. That's what I'm challenging you to come out of today. I want you to come out. Our calling is to tell people about the work that Christ has done to reconcile them to God. That they can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that takes boldness. And that boldness comes from a faith in Christ and a love for Christ. Can you see that in that scripture? If you can see that, say amen. Good. Some of you saw it. Now look what he says in verse 16. He says, Therefore, from now on, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. You know what that means? That means from now on, Paul said, no matter what it was like before, I don't look on anybody's outward appearance. I, 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 don't, I don't look at their gender, I don't look at their age, I don't look at their race, I don't look at their status, I don't look at if they've got tattoos or don't have tattoos, I don't look at if they're wearing a, 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 a biker's jacket or a business suit, I don't look at their outward appearance, I see every person as valuable enough that they need to hear the gospel. Amen. So he said, I no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. You say, well, of course, I, 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 I would never do that. Let me challenge you this morning to think a little differently. I would say that most of us today have a tendency to share our faith only with people that are a lot like us. But everybody needs the gospel. Amen. We have a tendency to surround ourselves with people who are like us and over time we, we try to convince them about Christ. But you know the drug addict with the needle in his arm, he needs the gospel. Amen. But you don't, see, you don't see people running to them. I heard one preacher say one time, he said, everybody wants to go win a trophy that they're proud to bring back to the church and say, look, I witnessed to this guy. He's... he's Got money, he's 
He's just like me. And now he's saved. But nobody wants to bring the drug dealer in and say, look, I witnessed to this guy and now he's saved. Amen. We all want a trophy that shines. But the reality is today, who do you suppose loves the Lord more? The one that was forgiven little or the one that was forgiven much? I'm telling you today, everybody needs the gospel. Prisoners need the gospel. Homeless people need the gospel. Hateful people need the gospel. Uh, lonely people need the gospel. Prideful people need the gospel. Angry people, grieving people, uh, everybody, poor people, rich people, uh, people who have it all together, and people whose lives are a mess. Everybody needs the gospel. Regardless of their lifestyle, regardless of their appearance, regardless of their circumstances, regardless of their condition, and regardless of their attitude, everybody needs the gospel. Amen. And our calling is clear. It was right there in verse 24 in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's what God calls you. Not just preachers, not just pastors. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through you. On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. How many times do you let God use you to plead with others to be reconciled to God through Christ? That's the call that we have. That's our job. That's our ministry. That's our calling. There's no specific way to do it. He doesn't say, give us exact instructions. For some, it may be standing on the street holding a sign. It may be handing out gospel tracts. It may be doing the work of a missionary. It may be teaching in a Sunday school classroom. It might include sharing the gospel on social media or at work or at your family reunions or wherever you go. There's lots of ways to do it, but you know what it takes? Boldness. Boldness. It takes courage and confidence. It takes a willingness to be persecuted and to be hated for Christ's sake. Let me ask you a question this morning. Without trying to be harder than what I need to be. Well, what's more important to you? Friendships or the gospel? Well, what's more important to you, popularity or the gospel? What's more important to you, money or the gospel? Yet we, we all would say the gospel in this bubble. But yet when you take us out of this bubble, sometimes the evidence of our life is that no, in fact, money is more important than the gospel. Or friendships are more important than the gospel. Or popularity. Being liked is more important than the gospel. This brings me to the second reason. is because it's not always just obliviousness. <laughs> you got one? You guys can see all the stuff I see from up here. The second reason. Because for some it's not obliviousness. Some understand it, but here's what they're facing. Fear. Fear. Fear of persecution. Fear of failure. Fear of being rejected. Fear of being laughed at. Fear of being hated or fear of becoming unpopular. Fear of looking foolish. Fear of losing friendships. Fear of losing family. There's all kinds of fear that we face when we think about sharing our faith with other people. But we need to remember what Paul said. He, he boldly proclaimed, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Amen? There's nothing more important in this world than the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That's what we read there in Philippians this morning when he said that in nothing, he, that's what he desired, that in nothing he would be ashamed, but with all boldness that his life and death would magnify Christ. Listen, I, I recognize this morning it's a scary thing to share the gospel with people. Because you know when you do that you'll be hated. When you share, listen to me, when you share the true gospel, you'll be hated by unbelievers and you'll be hated by professing believers. You'll encounter people who say they're Christians, who call themselves Christians, but because they still love sin, uh, they will confront you and call you a bigot. They'll say that you don't love God, that, that God is all about love and nothing else. And friends, today, our God is love. But it has standards. Look at what we've done because of our fear. In fear, you know what we've done? We've hid the gospel from them that are lost. We move from bold proclamation of the gospel that we see in the early church to what is now called friendship evangelism. You ever heard that term? Friendship evangelism? That's, you know what that means? That's the, the times where we think that the only thing that we can do to share the gospel is to try to befriend someone and then over years of time we might can influence them to be saved. What if the early church had practiced only friendship evangelism? What if the apostles hadn't went into the streets and into the cities and into the towns and proclaimed Jesus boldly? What if they only told their friends about Jesus? Let, let me get right to the point because I don't want to keep you too long today. But let's just look at the scripture that I want to show you. It's a little bit of reading this morning. So and if you want to get your Bible and look too, that'd be great. Matthew chapter 10. We'll put it on the screen too. Matthew chapter 10. And just let me read verses. I know it sounds like a lot, but don't get, don't get discouraged. Try to stay tuned in. Verses 16 through 40. Christ speaking, He said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they'll scourge you in their synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, don't worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Amen? But listen, when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, listen, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and nothing hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. 
Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. Now listen. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think I come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. But he that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. That is not a popular Mother's Day reading. But it's exactly the truth. I know it was a lot of scripture, but you can see it clearly in that section that we're called to overcome our fear. We're called to not worry about who is going to hate us or who's going to persecute us or who's going to make fun of us or who's going to harm us. We're called to overcome those things and not let fear stop us from spreading the gospel. We've been sent out in a world full of wolves like sheep. And if you live boldly for Christ, I promise you, you'll suffer persecution for you. You'll be hated by some, sometimes people of your own family. You'll be despised by some. You'll be rejected by most. You'll be laughed at frequently. You'll be talked about behind your back. You'll be ridiculed. Your family will avoid you. Some of your friends won't talk to you anymore. You may be arrested. You may get killed. Those things can happen, but that can't stop you. And if it does, go back and look in verse 32 and 33 again and see what happens. If fear stops you and you won't confess the Lord before men. He said, I'll deny before my Father who's in heaven. Now you can tell me all about your great understanding, but I read it for what it says. I want to be somebody who confesses the Lord before men. Amen. And not just people in my bubble, but all men, everywhere. Now, just let me caution you in the last minute or two here. Honestly, we're getting ready to wind it up. Just let me caution you. Boldness, and I see this a lot, boldness doesn't mean rudeness. You can go on YouTube and find videos of people witnessing and street preaching and doing those things, and so often it's rude. So often it's arrogance. It's just about showing them how smart they are. Right? That's not the point here. Boldness doesn't behave in, its, in a hateful way or in a prideful way. I don't think you have to be that way. I think you can be honest, kind, loving, gentle, patient, respectful, self-controlled. I think you can be filled with joy and peace and still be bold. And I actually think through that humble boldness, You'll win more souls into the kingdom of God. I, I, I think about there in the book of Acts when Peter stood before the, the people there in Acts chapter 4. By the way, Acts chapter 4 is a church that knows how to witness. 
and they chapters three and four. But in Acts chapter four, when Peter stood before them, he said, "Masters and rulers." He recognized them. He wasn't rude. He was respectful, but he told them the truth. He told them the truth. By the way, at the end of his sermon, five thousand souls were saved, and he was put in prison. As we wind this up, I want you to understand that you can be bold and not rude. And now the reason I preach this to you today is because I think we as a church need to get out of our comfort zone. I think we need to be bold in our proclamation of the gospel. I think we have work to do right here in Dickinson County. I believe that there's people in our community, thousands of people, who are either lost or falsely calling themselves a Christian. I think there's people in our county who is trusting in a baptism that didn't do anything but make them wet. Because their life reflects a love of sin, not of Christ. I think there are people right here in our county that are in bondage to sin, they're in bondage to alcoholism, to drugs, to all kinds of sins, just like we were. And they need to hear the truth and they need to be confronted with the true gospel in love, in meekness. I believe there's teenagers and young adults right here in our county that have never set foot in a church because mom and dad won't take them. So they've never heard the real gospel. And they're right outside those doors. When you go to Food City today or take mom out to the restaurant, they'll be at the tables next to you. They'll be the waitress that serves you, the person at the register that checks you out. There'll be all kinds of people all around you today that's outside of this little bubble of safety that you can boldly proclaim the gospel to. But you have to be bold. And loving. And willing. Let me end with this last verse in Luke chapter 10. He said, The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. Not to, not to drag things out. Not going to do that this morning. I know you've got plans and things. But this message is a simple little message to remind you of a great responsibility that you have. And so I offer this to you this morning. If you'd like to pray this morning for some boldness, won't you come to the altar and pray? If you'd like to ask God as they did in Acts chapter 4 when they said, uh, 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 let, us, let your servants speak with boldness, just come to the altar and say, God, renewing me of boldness to share this gospel with Peter. There's people in your family that need the gospel. And you've got to be bold. Willing to share. While these are gathering at the altar, very quickly as we lower our heads for just a moment, maybe you're here this morning and you're lost. And you know you're lost. I boldly proclaim to you, repent of sin and trust in Christ and you can be saved. But will you? Would you come this morning and listen, this altar can't save you, but the Lord can save you. The prayer that you say won't save you, but faith in Christ will save you. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's the only way. There is no other way. So if you're lost this morning and you need salvation, I encourage you to give your life to Christ before it's everlasting too late. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's go together in prayer with these at the altar. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, God.
for the word that you sent to us today, God, for the songs that were sung, for the every person that gathered together in this place and in churches all across the world today, God. God, we pray this morning, God, that you would forgive us sometimes for our timid approach to the gospel. And give us a great boldness, God, that we might boldly proclaim truth, God. Lord, I've been so guilty at times, God, of only being bold in my own little bubble. And I ask, God, that you would forgive me for that, God, and give me a, an opportunity, God, once again, God, to boldly proclaim truth, God, but to do it in the spirit of love and of meekness, God, with respect. God, help me to be a light to this world, God, and to do whatever it takes to win souls to you, God. Lord, I know, God, it's you that calls. I know it's you that saves. It won't be anything we do. But we humbly, God, take up the responsibility to be an ambassador for you and to go out and to boldly proclaim the truth, God, both in our words and in our lives, God. Bless those that have come to the altar this morning, God. Give them, God, exactly what they need. God, I pray that you would fill them, God. And, Lord, that you would help them, God. And for those, God, that are gathered around in other places, maybe watching online this morning, they're praying at home. Be with them, God. Give them what they need. And we thank you, God. Lord, before we leave here today, God, we want to say again how much we're thankful for our mothers, God. For the, the, the women in our lives, God, that do so much work for the kingdom of God. For our families, God, we pray that your blessing would be upon them and that you would give them a wonderful day, God, that's filled with your presence and with joy. And God, help our eyes, God, to see every opportunity that we might have to spread the gospel, that others might be brought into the kingdom. And we thank you, we praise you, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. We sure love you this morning. God bless each and every one of you. We thank God for you so much. Have a great week. Happy Mother's Day. The Benevolence Committee for just a minute. And then those that want to talk to about helping the fundraiser, Brother Kevin, for just a minute over there too.